we had started in the last year doing our meditation first and then having a a dialogue about a subject that is that pertains to the teaching. But this morning, with your permission, I'd like to start with a dialogue first because it bleeds into our understanding of why we do mind training in the first place. So, New Year's or holidays usually generate sadness and depression for people. And um, this philosophy helps us understand why we experience sadness or unpleasantness or suffering and what we can do to present to ourselves a different reality. And I think that's very important. And the schematic that helps us to understand how reality really works is called Paticca Samyupada, or Dependent Origination. And what it expresses to us is that everything is conditional. And when we truly understand that, when we truly get the picture of that, that because it's conditional and volitionally produced, it is in itself empty. And what we can do is to change or create different conditions which will change or create different situations or realities. That the condition itself, the reality itself, is not real. You know, it, fe- it feels real and, it, and you can touch it and, and everyone is there, but ultimately we understand through the concept of voidness and the concept of dependent origination that the event in front of us can be altered by us through our construct, through our mental construct. And so in and of itself, it has no power to harm us. But we have people on a whole mountain of medication because they believe that what they are experiencing is essentially stable and essentially essential in and of itself. We're going to break the whole schematic down. Not today, but throughout these next weeks. Because I I think, or I know, one of the things that we talked about in the retreat that we had going into this new year, that for the most part, everyone wanted to have a different year. Wanted it, and, and ultimately, if we can remember, since we understood resolutions, we made affirmations that 
my, my new year is going to be better or different than my last year, my previous year. I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm not going to do the same unwholesome things. I'm not going to do the same hurtful things to myself and others that I did before. And thereby, hopefully, promoting a condition that's conducive to happiness and peace. But what dependent origination helps us understand is that these alterations, these adjustments, if you will, are things that are done moment to moment. It has nothing to do with the beginning of the year and the end of the year. It can be done and altered at any time, at any moment in our reality. And so it starts out by telling us, well, first of all, let me say this. As you study this subject on your own, this, this subject that's called dependent origination, there are various, or there are two predominant views that are in conflict with each other, that are in contention with each other. In some traditions, they teach dependent origination as being or as covering three lifetimes. So when they present the schematic of dependent origination, they say this part of it is past, this part of it is present life, this part of it is future. All right. In my opinion, and in the opinion of some others, this conflicts or contradicts the Buddha's teaching. Because remember, one of the fundamental teachings of Buddhism, as taught by Siddhartha, is that there is no self that transmigrates from lifetime to lifetime. There is no soul that transmigrates from lifetime to lifetime. So therefore, you cannot have an individual self that experiences three lifetimes in the way that we visualize these three lifetimes. In other words, from, from womb to grave, from womb to grave, from womb to grave. Now, it's up to each and every one of you to apply your own scholarship and to read the information that's available, to study the information that's available, and make your own decision as to whether you feel this teaching applies to three lifetimes or to just time. And I leave that up to you. I will present what I understand, what I know is comprehensible. And of course, no one can argue <coughs> for or against a truth. The only thing that I can do is present the truth that I have and the truth that I have confidence and faith in at this time. But if you want to embrace a different truth, that's fine. 
just remember that this concept, this schematic, this presentation is designed to help you understand why you suffer and why you can end that suffering and how you can end that suffering. And so if you embrace a truth and it is not effective or conducive to happiness and peace, then you've, you've embraced the wrong truth. That's all. That, that's a way to use that. That's the litmus for that. That if you still, if you believe in something and you're still suffering, then that this is not the truth for you. Okay. Now, what I'm presenting is what works for me. And I'm saying, this works for me. You can check this out. You can examine this. You can study this. You can reflect on this. And if it works for you, fine. I'm happy for you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm sitting here talking. So it starts out with a statement that says, with ignorance as condition, volitions come to be. With ignorance as condition, volitions come to be. That's the way the schematic starts out. And so ignorance of what? Ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Other people have said ignorance of other things, but ignorance of the Four Noble Truths, because if you do not understand the concept of the Three Noble three. Four Noble Truths. You won't see the efficacy of the schematic. So, Four Noble Truths. This is suffering and it should be understood. This is the origin of suffering and it should be abandoned. This is the cessation of suffering and it should be realized. And this is the path leading to the cessation of suffering, which should be practiced. Okay? Four Noble Truths. The key to understanding the manipulation of happiness and sadness has to do with the middle of the schematic of dependent origination, which talks about With consciousness as condition, contact comes to be. Contact meaning the awareness of something other than yourself. The awareness of form, color, sound, smell, taste, tactile sensation, and mental concoctions. Something other than you. The presence of that. Contact makes us aware that there's something else beside ourselves and our reality. And with that as condition, feeling comes to be. So we talk about, and we, we, be, we should be able to understand or to arrive at a conclusion that there's these three kinds of feeling, because we're not talking about emotion at this point. We're just talking about feeling. Pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neutral feeling. That's what we're talking about. So with contact as condition, feeling comes to be. Pleasant feeling or unpleasant feeling or neutral feeling. 
And with feeling as condition, craving comes to be. In other words, I like it, so I want it. I don't like it, so I'm repulsed by it. Or it's neutral, and I don't really care whether it hangs around or not. I don't, I'm, it's a gray area, and I'm not really sure what it even means. It doesn't bother me. doesn't upset me. Yeah, I don't have to deal with it. I'll deal with it another time. With craving as condition, clinging or attachment comes to be. Okay. And with clinging or attachment as condition, existence comes to be. Now let's just take that little chunk right there because that's, I think that's something that we can all work with, understand, and, well, I'll go back to the term work with. In other words, it's, it's something that is a tool that is available to all of us where we can actually see the efficacy of the practice. No matter which of the five senses we use, eyes, nose, ears, tongue, body, Mentality, or the sixth sense, always pairs up with that. So when we see something, we think about it. When we hear something, we think about it. When we smell something, we think about it. When we taste something, we think about it. Thinking is always a partner that arises at the same time that contact and feeling arise. And when we understand that it is the contact with an object and the thinking about that object that promotes the feeling I have about that object. And that all I need to do to change the feeling that I'm experiencing in this moment is to change the object that I'm adhering to. That if this thought or this image or this sound is displeasing to me, I can redirect my awareness to something else. This is what samadhi teaches us to do, to become skillful in. So, in samadhi or concentration practice, we elect to focus our attention on one object. That might be feeling, that might be body, that might be breath, that might be mind objects. And our practice is to hold our attention on a specific object to the exclusion of everything else that is swirling around us in our world. And while we're still 
having difficulty adhering to the object of our choice. And we break our concentration, we break our attention, and we go someplace else. We put our attention on a different object. The practice is to bring our attention back to our object of choice. Right? So we go someplace else. We look over here and go someplace else. We think about something else. We smell something else and we go there. We taste something and it goes there. We feel something and we go there. As opposed to staying with, sticking with our original intention. And so when we find ourselves distracted, whenever we discover that we're distracted, because most often when we're distracted, we sort of hang out in that new idea for a while, you know. And then we say, oh, no, this is not where I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here to focus on my breath, or I'm sitting here to focus on my body. And so we bring our attention back to our original intention. And what this helps us to understand the manipulation of reality is, is that we say, okay, I'm learning, I'm learning a truth. I'm learning how to manipulate or to move attention or consciousness or awareness from one place to another. And so when I find in, in real time, in real life, that I am in contact with an object that is unpleasant, that's causing me an unpleasant feeling. I can, at that moment of realization, move my attention to something that I know from previous experience offers me a different feeling in my reality. And that can be anything. That can be a grandchild, uh, a motorcycle, an ice cream cone, a butterfly. It can be anything that is pleasing to us. And that's what we'll feel. This is how it works. Now, the, the thing that we understand about the origin of suffering is that it is not the presentation of the reality that causes our suffering. It is our craving that causes our suffering. The origin of our suffering is craving. Not the origin of our suffering is our experience. The origin of suffering is, our, is the craving. And then what we do is we attach ourselves to it. We cling to that object. We don't let it go. So this is why we can be sad all day. See, this is why we can be angry for a week. Because the event has happened and has gone but we're still holding on to the event, to the object, by our attachment or our clinging. And every time we latch on to that object that is causing us an unpleasant feeling, we experience that unpleasant feeling. 
And we want it to go away and we fight against it. But that's just keeping in contact with it. So, for instance, as an example, we can be driving and someone cuts us off and we get angry for a moment. And then our mind or attention is pulled someplace else because we almost run into the car in front or, you know, so we, so we bring our attention back. But then we notice when we're riding down the road and there's no place, nobody else around, we start thinking about it again. We, we pull it back. Now it's all, it's gone. The, the reality, the event has ended, but we refresh and bring it back into our awareness through the contact with thought or thinking. And we can do this with anything. Somebody said this. You know, we have this whole conversation and dialogue about what I should have said and what I should have done and, you know, I should have got all of this straightened out. And the feeling that we generate about something imaginary. You see, this, this is the key. The, the thinking that we're doing about something that happened yesterday is imaginary. It is not happening. It is not in our reality, except in our head, in our mind, in our consciousness. And this helps us to understand that, well, wait a minute, if this is imaginary and it causes me to feel this way, then I can put up, pull up something else imaginary and it'll cause me to feel a different way. See, that's our validation before we get into it to see, to, to wonder to ourselves, will this really work? Well, we're worried and hurt and depressed about something that is imaginary. It is not real. It is not in our reality at this moment. It is only in our head at this moment. It is a daydream. It is a fantasy. And all we have to do is change the object of our attention to something we know. You see, this is, this is the key. Picking something you know is pleasant to you. Again, whether it's butterflies or ice cream cones, it doesn't matter. But something pleasant. Putting our minds, our consciousness, our attention on that, and we will feel a pleasant feeling. That's how we transition. And that's how we deny a new existence. Because with feeling as condition, craving comes to be, with craving as condition, clinging or attachment comes to be, with clinging or attachment as condition, existence comes to be. Now, what does this mean? I thought I've already existed. I thought I already existed. I must because I'm having this experience. But no. Before you have this experience that is designed by and governed by craving and clinging, you were one kind of person. You see? You didn't have a care in the world. You were walking down the street whistling or driving in your car whistling. Didn't have a care. You were just as peaceful, you know, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the day. And then this thing happened or this thought happened or this object, this sight happened or this sound happened. 
And because you clung to it and didn't let go of it, you created another person. The person that you were a moment ago died. They no longer exist. And now there's this upset person, this depressed person, this sad person, this angry person that is now existing instead of this peaceful. Do you understand what we're talking about? Do you see the key? So a whole new person has come into existence. And that person is in existence for as long as there's craving and clinging. As long as that feeling is generated. That person, up, that upsetness, that anger, that sadness, that depression, that lonesomeness, that whatever it is that is generated in that, that person is there with all of the problems that that person has. But that person, in an ultimate sense, in an ultimate reality, does not exist except for these conditions. And as soon as I move, remove one of the conditions, would I remove attachment? Would I remove the object and put it on something else, which is also removing attachment, but then placing my attention on something else? You see, if I don't put my attention on something else, there's just a hole there. You know, I, I fight this feeling and I somehow get over it for a moment because I say, this is stupid. I'm, I'm upsetting myself and... You know, the person that I'm upsetting myself about is not worth it, so I'm going to stop thinking about that. But if I don't fulfill, I don't fill that hole that's there with something else, anything might slide in, and usually does. It might not be the same thing, but I feel the same feeling because I'm focused on the same subject, that person and what they did to me. I might be thinking about that person anymore, but I'm thinking about what they did or what they could have done or what they should have done or what they should have said. And I've still got this, this unpleasantness rolling around inside of me. So, got it? Okay. So this is the reason why we're going to go in and practice samadhi. Concentration. One-pointedness. So that whenever we find ourselves in that situation, we realize I'm here because I'm clinging to something. And I'm, and I'm clinging to an object that's causing me unpleasant feeling, and I'm going to put my attention on something else that causes me pleasant feeling. And it's that simple. That's all you have to do. Now, it's simple. It's not easy. But it's simple. That's, that's the motion. That's the disconnect. That's the destruction or the deconstruction of a whole nother person who's full of anger and full of vengeance that wasn't there a minute ago, that was born. You see, so you begin to see that, well, we can talk about womb to tomb, we can talk about lifetimes in that, in that context, but we can understand that in any given day, we might have we might experience five different people within our within our same skin in reality: an angry person, a sad person, a depressed person, vengeful person, 
sorrowful person within one day. So begin to be aware of the different personalities. You know, we talk about schizophrenia, multiple personalities. Be aware of the multiple personalities that you entertain willingly in a day. And ask yourself, do you really want to go through that or not? Okay. Any questions? Yes. If I am driving along and I am successful at being in the moment, mm-hmm. uh, ha- having cultivated a consciousness of just egoless awareness, egoless mm-hmm. awareness, mm-hmm. and this incident happens that you speak of in in driving <clears throat> that that causes me anger then I am becoming someone. Right. It's, I don't think Descartes meant it this way, but it is, I think, therefore, I am. Yes. And my Remember, as soon as you willingly submit and involve yourself with the experience, you've lost your mindfulness. You're not mindful anymore. Because... Mindfulness requires that we be in acceptance of the moment exactly as it is, without any judgment, without any condemnation, without any um, conceptualization, like this is good, this is bad. And so as soon as I find myself affected or infected by the moment, by the reality that's happened, the somebody cutting me off or somebody blowing their horn or somebody, you know, flipping the bird or whatever whatever it might be, somebody yelling at me, you know, I have lost my mindfulness. I have lost my mind. It has been pulled into a fantasy. And I will I'm I'm a willing partner in that because now I know that I don't have to be there if I don't want to be there. So you're absolutely right. If I can be in the moment with bare awareness, then the, re- the way I know that I'm succeeding in that is that I don't get pulled into other people's stuff. The guy that's riding by me honking his horn telling me to move over and you know, you're a road hog or you're going too slow and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. If I'm in the moment, that happened the last moment, not this moment. But if I'm still bothered by that, then I'm no longer in the present moment. I'm in that past moment that has already gone by. And I'm, st- I'm in contention with it. I'm holding on to it. I'm attached to it. I'm keeping it alive. I'm resuscitating it on a moment-by-moment basis. And it's no longer real. It's a fantasy. But that's how I know I've lost my mind. I've lost my mindfulness. It's the mindfulness that is our prophylactic, our protection. And it is our awareness 
that I am now in this fantasy and this dialogue with somebody that happened a minute ago that lets me know I've lost it. It's just like in samadhi, when I put my attention or I use my object of meditation as my breath, and then I suddenly realize that, whoa, I'm not on the breath anymore. I'm thinking about something that happened yesterday. I have lost my concentration. I have given it up. And in that moment of realization, I then go back and retrieve it, reestablish it, and now I'm back on track again. Now I'm back in this place of stillness and peace again. And it's the same thing if I realize that I've lost my mind or mindfulness, that by bringing it back, which essentially means and requires that the first thing that I have to do is come to the moment. I can't be thinking about something that happened in the last moment or last week or yesterday because that's lost, that's gone. And so when I come back to this moment with the bare attention and the bare awareness, then I also bring with me, I have established the conditions which allow me to reside in this moment in a very peaceful and quiet way, serene way. So this is all we're talking about, how to manipulate consciousness, how to manipulate mind so that I can create the conditions for peace within me in spite of whatever that might be going on around me, what people might be doing. It doesn't matter. What matters is how I hold my attention to something. And that's what creates my either my stillness or my disruptedness. So that, that's it. It's that simple. You don't have to make anybody else do anything. You, know, you don't have to make them shut up. You don't have to make them go away. You don't have to make them do anything. It's up to each individual to establish their own peace. I've wondered about this for a couple of weeks. The, the, the bare, um, the pure awareness, the bare awareness, mm-hmm. as you put it, and, uh, and the, only, the only awareness is of the breath and, and the moment. It seems to me that that is a mindless awareness. And as soon as my attention is pulled, as soon as something else gets my attention, suddenly it is a mindful awareness. Mm. Okay. And and if I, and in, in a total egoless consciousness, is that not a mindless existence? No. Because your mind, your your awareness is present with all that's present without a conversation about it, without a, a, a desire to rearrange or to change, that there's no conflict with it. There's really no interaction with it. But that doesn't mean it's mindless. It means you're totally there with it. But you're witness, you're like a witness. 
you know, you're, you're, you are aware of its presence. And however it's manifesting and unfolding itself, it's okay with you. You don't want to change anything. You, 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 non-judgmental, nothing is ugly, nothing is beautiful. It's just all there. I'm aware that it's there, but I have no involvement with it. So I'm a witness. I can share with you everything I saw, heard, smelled, tasted, touched, felt, and thought about. But actually, I don't have any thinking about it. I have no involvement with it. So see if you can walk into a place and not go, oh, I need to pick this up. Oh, this is messy. They shouldn't have left this on the table. You know, but to be able to walk into a place and walk out of it and leave it exactly like you found it, that is mindfulness. Let's go inside. What I'd like for you to do is to spend a few minutes in one of the Brahma Viharas, uh, loving kindness or compassion or altruism or equanimity. And after that, I'd like you to I'd like you to focus on the breath. But before you focus on the breath, I'd like for you to abandon abandon all covetousness and grief for the world. That just simply means all of the desire and, and all of the sadness and sorrow that you have for the world, just put it aside. Bring your attention, bring your mindfulness in front of you. In front of you. And then mindfully breathe in and mindfully breathe out. What I'd like for you to do is to um, work with the concepts that we discussed today to discover the truth in them that will give you the confidence to embrace the other truths, the deeper truths that are in the teaching. So, until I see each of you the next time, the only thing I want you to do is to be aware of the changes in personality that you go through, the the birth in the selves that you go through. We talk a lot about egolessness, but we're usually all full of ego, full of self, right? And just be aware, without judgment, oh, I see that, that that just changed. I, I was a minute ago this way, now I'm thinking and acting and feeling this way. I'm a whole brand new, different person, and that's the reason why. And if I put my attention back on what it was when I was that peaceful, still person, I will become peaceful and still. So just work that and count the different personality changes you go through, the different selves you go through, the different births and deaths that you go through, that you experience on a very personal level, very real level. And then decide whether that's the way you want to live. 
You know, if that's the way you want to go, that's that's fine. But it's crazy. All right. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. May we have a wonderful, peaceful, and still year with nothing but love, kindness, compassion, equanimity, and altruism. Thank you so much. See you soon.